Christ, worthy of our praise. Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you're looking really good today, and you may be seated. Well, just a little update about Gander Mountain. Our church is endeavoring to purchase the property. We had a good week in our interactions this week. Uh, we got a clean, what's called environmental report, no hazardous materials. We had our engineer do the building inspection on Wednesday. One concern, it's got some water around the foundation. We're doing some inspections on that. We're doing figuring out, make sure, it, is it fixable? So we'll work on that this week. And then, of course, the issue trying to clear up all the things with the title. It's in a business park out there, and there's some restrictions. But we've been working with the, uh, the lawyer and the head of the board uh, this week, and as well as buying some more land for parking. So that seemed very positive, but they'll be voting on that perhaps today or the next day or two. So please pray. Here's what I'm praying. Lord, if you want us to be out there, don't let anything stop it. But if there's something better, how many know if he doesn't, that means there's something better. I don't know what it is, but then that's what I want God to do, just shut the door. So how many know that's a good place to live? You can be at peace with that. Well, turn your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 43. Uh, I've been in a short series called, Why Me? Now, you have asked that question a lot. Last week, we talked about the negative side of it. You remember when trouble happens? We've all said that. You read through the Bible. A lot of uh, the writers of the Bible were very candid with God. <laughs> why is this happening to me? Well, we learned last week that it's not just why there's trouble, but my response to it. Because if, if I ask God the question, why me, and respond wrong, it's going to be, woe is me. But if I'm asking the question, why me, and I respond right, it can well be, wow, it's me. In other words, God's turning something really bad into something really good because of our, our responses. Well, today we're going to look at the flip side about why good things happen to us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look specifically about the idea. Ushers, we've got a lot of people that are fanning. Probably need a little air conditioning going on here. Uh, today we're going to look at why good things happen to us, spe specifically why certain people have a privilege of being used by God in a special way. Now, I believe deep down in the heart of every one of us here, we want God to use our lives in some special way. Now, this question why, uh, it's asked by uh, John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, uh, in Luke 1.43. The two girls come together. Uh, uh, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, uh, and she meets Mary. And Elizabeth said, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Why is it me? Why is this great thing happening in my life? Well, it's a privilege. And I'm going to suggest to you, privileges by God are not accidental, but they're very deliberate and on purpose. If when you were growing up, a friend of yours, uh, his dad had lots of money, and he brought him a brand new truck. Now, you got your old Chevy standby in the parking lot, but he drives up in this brand new F-150, jacked up, big tires. I mean, everything is just ready to go. And uh, you said, man, you're lucky. Or maybe one of your friends uh, grew up on a farm and he's got the best duck hunting place in, uh, in the Arklatex. You say, man, you're lucky. Well, luck has nothing to do with it spiritually. God uses people in special ways because of our choices and the values that we aspire to live by. Now, I'm going to show you this through different biblical characters today. In essence, I'm going to tell you the Christmas story. I'm going to bring together Matthew and Luke from the beginning to the end, and we'll look at a half a dozen people that had the privilege to be used. For example, Mary. There were hundreds or thousands of young women that could have get, be, given birth to the Christ child, but he chose one. Why? He didn't have a lottery. 
How about, how about the angels when they appeared to the shepherds? Why those guys? He could have gone to the Rotary Club. He could have gone to Applebee's. He could, have, he could have gone to the school. He could have gone everywhere, anywhere people were gathering. But the angel went to these few shepherds. Why? And as we ask that why question, my hope is, is that it will somehow help us want to emulate the values and the choices that they had so we might be used in the same way by the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to show you a little quick video. It's about the shepherds, but it's, uh, it was filmed in Texas, so it's a little bit different. And, uh, but I think the message will come across loud and clear. Take a, take a peek here. I can't believe this is happening. Oh, I got to get a grip. I got to, uh, I got to tell people. That's what I got to do. I got to, I got to go tell people. I got to, I got to share the news. I got to let them know that, uh, <laughs> who's going to listen to me, huh? Who's going to listen to me? I mean, I, it's not like I have any kind of reputation. People don't give me two looks, and I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to talk about angel sighting and Messiah's coming. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, I just got to, I just got to put my manners on. That's it. I put my manners on, I gotta talk right. That's it, and then I gotta, I gotta clean up. I can do that, I can clean out under my fingernails. There's no hiding this man. said, uh, good news, good news of great joy for everyone, because the Savior was born today in Bethlehem. He said we'd recognize him by, by a very specific sign. He said that baby would be wrapped in cloths and lying in a, <laughs> and this was the kicker. <laughs> That baby would be lying in a manger. <laughs> a Messiah in a feeding trough. <laughs> oh. I mean, even my family was better off than that. We didn't have two sticks to rub together, but at least I had a, a bed to lay my head in when I was a kid. I've been waiting my whole life for this Messiah. And now it seems he may be more like me than I ever thought possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that angel got it wrong. 
This ain't good news. This is the best news ever. Well, shepherds in Bethlehem probably didn't have cowboy hats, but yet God picked them. And I hope I can awaken something in you today to cause you to believe that God could use my life to do something special in his eternal kingdom. Let's look at the key people surrounding Jesus, and maybe we can answer why. These privileged few. I've entitled the message, Why Me? A Portrait of Privilege. Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we begin with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be the one that introduced Christ to the world. He was, inter- he, he, he was born six months before Jesus. They were cousins. They were friends. They grew up together, uh, and he was a part of the story. But look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're described, verse 6, and what I want you to do, I want you to listen to clues. Each time we read a passage about a person, I want you to listen to clues about why maybe God picked them and see that maybe God might use that in my life as well. I'd write some of these things down. Verse 6 says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. I bet that's important. Careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. In other words, following Jesus was real serious to them. They didn't just want to go to heaven when they die and get fire insurance. They genuinely loved God and wanted to please Him. Now look at verse 7. Here's the dilemma. They had no children and they're both very old. The issue for them was would they continue to be righteous and blameless when their disappointment overshadowed their life? Because it lasted for 40 years. When I have a struggle in my life, I'm asking God to answer a prayer as I am now. For the last few years I've been dealing with something and I'm asking God to just take it away. And it comes and goes, but it doesn't just go away. And I find myself sometimes wanting to quit. I find myself wanting to give up. I find myself wanting to lose hope, to wonder if, it's, if God's ever going to do anything about it. Well, somehow in the midst of this feeling, we have to follow the pattern of their life and just continue to be righteous and blameless living godly lives because it just may be that God is getting ready to use you, but it's just not time yet. Zechariah's in the sanctuary. Now, he's a priest. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel said, God has heard your prayer. Your wife will give you a son. You're to name him John. And he'd be called John the Baptist because he baptized people in water. Some scholars believe he baptized several hundred thousand people in the Jordan River. It was no small thing. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. And then his father Zechariah. Here's another thing I want you to notice. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He welcomed the presence of God to come near him, and he gave a prophecy. A prophecy is simply someone hearing something from God and sharing it with other people. It can be spooky or weird, or it can be wonderful. But just because some people are spooky and weird, or they make mistakes, don't let that keep you from being drawn to this, because this was another reason. And he prophesied about the future. And he said, you, my little son, the little baby, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you'll prepare the way for the Lord. Imagine how proud they were. You'll tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And that defined the the life of this young man, John, as he grew. So let's go quickly. Why were Elizabeth and Zechariah privileged to give birth to John the Baptist? 
The first thing I see is in spite of their disappointment, they continued to serve God. They continued to be righteous and blameless, even though life was difficult, even though life was hard. They set their, their eyes on a goal. They set their eyes on a mark in God, on something they aspired to, and they did not let the hardships of life make them quit. And I suggest to you all along, God was preparing them for this great task. Another thing I see about them is that uh, Zechariah was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he was willing for God to use him to speak to people through this word of prophecy. Now, I want to read a scripture to you and I written to us in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. In other words, you and I, those nine gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians, we're really supposed to want those to be operating in our life. But then he says, especially that you may... In other words, especially that you might be used of God to just hear the Lord speaking and share a word of encouragement to another person. It doesn't make you a prophet. It doesn't make you somebody special. It makes you a normal Christian being able to use by God in significant ways. I had this encourage me just a couple days ago. Um, We had on Wednesday night a, a teaching in our church on the gift of prophecy. And afterwards, we were encouraging people to try to listen to the Lord and speak a word of encouragement to someone. Well, on the second one, this young man walked up to me, and I thought, well, here comes this young fella. He's going to say something nice to the preacher. He said, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you that your tribulation is not over. I thought, "Uh, that was not exactly what I was wanting to hear. Go back to your seat, young man. (laughs) But I didn't say that. Because I've learned, listen, if God can speak through donkeys like he did to Balaam, God can speak through anybody. Well, you know what? That following week, I went through something real. I was fighting something. And that word came to me. And here's what it did. It reminded me that God knew what was going to happen in my life. And God wasn't doing it to punish me. But somehow, if God was allowing it, then God is preparing me. God is using me. God is refining my testimony. Uh, 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 Therefore, I can rejoice in my troubles because God is in the midst of it. Are you with me today? And it, it was not something that I wanted to hear, but it was something that did a good work in me. And maybe this was a reason God used Zechariah. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now, verse 26, let's look at Mary. Christmas would not be Christmas without Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin named Mary. Now, I want you to ask the question with me. Pause and wonder, why this woman? Well, she's probably a young girl. Some believe she was as young as 16, 17, 18 years of age. Bottom line, she's young. And there were hundreds or thousands to choose from, but he chose one. There's something powerful about being chosen. I don't care if you're, if you're in high school or, or on the elementary age and you're getting ready to play basketball and everybody's going, pick me, pick me, pick me, and you get picked. And they pick you first because you're tall, you can shoot, and you're fast. And you just, you you feel good about it. My son, when he went to SAU and he was studying accounting, there was a class of about 40 or 50, and uh, the CPA in town wanted to hire one student. And that was a privilege because if you got hired, you'd get your hours, and you get your 2,000 hours, you can take your CPA exam. And my son got got the opportunity. And it set him on a course so he could jump from that, get his CPA license, get an MBA, and hopefully he'll take care of dad in his old age. Are you, are you with me today? 
But, but, but when I heard about it, it made me proud. I know it made him proud, but it wasn't because of accident or luck, and it wasn't because John bribed him. It was because they saw something in him that drew them to pick him. And in the very same way, there are, and here's two words I want you to remember today, choices and values. The choices and values of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the choices and values of Mary. Let's see what she did. Maybe we can imitate it. Gabriel appeared to her, the angel, and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now we're going to ask why. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. No suggestion of human intercourse, but somehow a divine impartation of the Christ child in her womb. The baby born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. Listen to how Mary responded to that. I'm the Lord's servant. It was like this eagerness. May everything you've said to me come true. Would to God. If I had a magic wand today, and I don't believe in magic wands, but if I did and I could touch each person and, and this would be imparted, I would say, let it come out of your heart and your lips. Let everything God wants happen. Let everything God wants in my life come to pass. Everything God desires. This is the great, great thing about Mary. She wanted what God had to offer. Here's another one in Luke 1, this parallel passage. A few days later, Mary goes to see Elizabeth, and here's what Elizabeth said. You're blessed because you believed that the Lord, said, uh, the Lord would do what he said. Now let's look at these couple things here. We can learn a lot from Mary why she had the privilege to give birth to Christ. Number one, she was a, vir a virgin. That was and is God's will today that we remain sexually pure before our marriage. And then after our marriage, we keep our sexual practice within our marriage. It's God designed. But I want to suggest to you the bigger word is purity. And God, purity matters to God. Purity in my ethics. Purity in my character. Purity in my mouth. Purity in what I let come in through my eye gates, the TV. All these things in life. How many know you can just tell a person who's living clean? Not because they're self-righteous or wear a button that says, I'm holy. They're just living right. Well, this is what Mary had. The second thing, she was set apart to God's commands. Listen, she was eager to do His will. Now, I want to do God's will, but i got to admit sometimes I'm not always eager to do God's will. Oh, you're so holy today. I'm just <laughs> such an honor for me to be in your privilege. I married a missionary. I knew it when I married her. Well, she's not a missionary to Texas County. She's a missionary to the world. And God has used, she just, I, I just can't tell you. Linnell gets to go all over the world to places that other people won't go. She loves to minister to people in the out-of-the-way places. And one place in particular is in Mexico. They would have her every week if, I, if we would let her go. Uh, but she goes down, she's found this amazing thing. These women in, in the Chamula Indians, they start to come to church. They're barefoot. They're backward. They have zero self-esteem. They have no confidence in God whatsoever. And as she's talk, talking about the living word of Christ, she doesn't turn them into radical feminists. She turns them into radical women of God where they have character and courage and believe in God and they worship and they dance and they prophesy to the Lord. Well, now that's all great and, you know, when, when she does that. But the problem is she leaves me for 10 days. What's my point? 
I can choose to gripe about it and make her feel bad and manipulate her with guilt, or I can recognize that part of our journey together as servants of the Lord is recognizing her calling and not just allowing it, but encouraging it. And there's a difference in your spirit because I could easily manipulate her. I could easily do things because I'm selfish. But I think this was the heart of Mary. Mary was eager to do everything God said. She was elated about it. And the lastly, of course, we talked about her faith, that she believed that God could do impossible things. Now, come on. There's been no other virgin since Mary that has given birth to a child. There's given people that said, oh, no, Mama, I never slept with anybody. And we're liars. Come on now. But there's never been anybody like Mary. She, she believed that God would do what he promised. And this is why for you and I, whether God promises you something in a dream, a prophecy, just an inner witness, a scripture, that we hold on to that until it comes to pass. Well, let's look at the next one. Mary wouldn't be complete without Joseph. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now I want you to think of the days when you were young and in love. Anybody today here young and in love? I want to see who you are. Would you stand up? You have the courage. Would you just, just, just stand up just a minute? Young and in love. Young and in love. I've got three kids, two married, one with stars in her eyes. Huh? Who? Who was it? But you're married. I'm looking for a young and in love and not married. He won't stand up, though, will he? Okay, here's how it works. My daughter, Bethany. Bethany, she went on a date. There's this guy that lives in Genoa, and, and he loves God. And he came to Powerhouse, and he asked me out. And she goes home after the first date, gets in bed with Rebecca. I think he's the one. I think he's the one. And before you know it, she's walking like this. And everything is Mason, Mason. And he comes and he looks at her and says, Bethany, fairest thou Bethany. <laughs> and he comes to my house and, and we, we, Linnell cooks and, 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 and Bethany is making a plate. And I'm thinking, for dad. <laughs> and she makes this plate and she gives it to Mason. Mason. And they talk on the phone. Uh, when I was in love with Linnell, we didn't have cell phones. I'd go to her parents' house. We'd spend the evening together or whatever the case. And I'd leave. And as soon as I got back to my home, I'd pick up the phone. And we'd breathe on the phone for 45 minutes. <laughs> love. Joseph. Oh, Mary. My Mary. There's never been anyone as beautiful as you. Oh, Joseph. Your muscles. Your future will be the happiest couple in the world. Until verse 18. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, let's go on a picnic. I'll make fried chicken. Oh, Mary, nobody makes chicken like you. Joseph, I've got something to tell you. What is it, dearest love? I'm pregnant. And God did it. 
It takes a special man. Now we're asking why Joseph. There were lots of people that could have married Mary. But God picked Joseph. Let's see, let's see his responses and see if you can pick some things up. Again, we're looking for choices and values. Joseph was a, a righteous man, which means he walked with God. He walked God's, the way God wants you to walk. But when he got off the path, he'd get back on it. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're endeavoring to live in a way that pleases God. And notice this next phrase. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And look at verse 20. An angel of the Lord appears in a dream. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she's going to have a son. You're to name him Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. And Joseph wakes up. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took her as his wife. All this is rich. But look at verse 25. He didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born. Takes a special man. So why did Joseph have this privilege? Let me suggest a couple things. Number one, he was righteous, but he was unselfish. This is, this is one, probably my biggest struggle in life, is I'm selfish. Nobody else, I know. You say, why do you mean he's unselfish? Remember the phrase, he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. Even though his ego was bruised at first, even though he felt rejected, listen, you touch a man's woman, He's either going to fight you or he's going to be a crushed little puppy in the mud. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. Another thing we see about him, it, it, see, most, most men, if, if their fiancé said she was pregnant, would lash out. They would attack. They might even be violent. But I guarantee you, whatever bracelet she'd given her, they'd throw it on the ground and say, yeah, God did it. I'm sure he did. I thought you loved me. Something about this man, Joseph. The second thing I say, Joseph was sensitive to the Holy Spirit in a dream, but he was quick to obey what he said. It's one thing for you and I to hear God. It's another thing for us to be quick to do what he says. And the last thing, I think, he was willing to endure shame. And he was willing to be laughed at because he chose God's will. You got to know, friends, that there was talk going on. You got to know there was gossip You've got to know people were talking. And when Joseph would come in the room, they'd all be quiet. You got to know. So who was it, Joseph? Who, got, who did it? Who's your competition, Joseph? Who outdid you, Joseph? Hard for a man to endure that. But Jesus said in Luke 6, 22, Blessed are you when people exclude you and insult you because of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy. I think we can pick up something from Joseph. Again, what we're looking for today is that the people that had this great privilege of being surrounding the birth of the Savior of the world, and why did God pick them? And perhaps if these values, these choices follow my life, He'd do that for me too. Uh, we, I was going to talk about Augustus, but I don't have time. The Roman emperor that issued the decree, but sufficient to say that the powerful people in the world, whether it's President Trump and Miss Pelosi and Mr. Schumer, listen, they'll make a lot of, you know, hoo-ha and a lot of laws and regulations, but the bottom line, God is holding them in His hand just like you're doing a yo-yo. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. God uses people to fashion His will. Now, I want to go to verse 6. And a guy that I used to kind of diss, but I want to lift up a bit. 
the innkeeper. Verse 6, while they're there in Bethlehem, she's very, very pregnant. The time came for her baby to be born. There was no way to make reservations. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger, which is an animal trough. I was raised on a farm. We had cows. We had a dairy, and those cows would give birth, and those little calves would end up in a stall, and that stall is where you dump the feed, but they'd also touch their rear ends against that stall and go to the bathroom. And all you do is put some more hay in it and throw that away, and it turns into the compost pile. That's where they put Jesus. Now that's, for Jesus himself, is a humble experience. On the few occasions in my life when I have had occasion to rub shoulders with some powerful person, if I took them to dinner, I wouldn't take them to McDonald's. I would give them the finest and best. But this is the way God came to the world in a manger. But think about this now. There was no lodging available for them. I want to talk about the innkeeper. We're going to speculate a little bit. We don't know if he owned the building or did he just work there. What we do know is... is, is he didn't push them away. He wasn't able to give them the best, but he didn't close his heart to the need of a stranger. Now, I want you to think about hospitality just a moment. When you, if, you, if you're old enough to remember before cell phones and internet and, and, and you're on a vacation and it's time to find a hotel for the night, uh, you, the hotels used to put up signs that said vacancy or no vacancy. Well, Joe's, and what no vacancy means, don't bother us. I'm watching television. The inn is full. And the innkeeper could have easily said to Mary and Joseph, no vacancy, leave me alone. But he didn't. And it's a real good chance that he or, and or his wife, that they helped when the baby was born, that somebody boiled water to clean up the blood, that somebody provided, somebody made sure there was a blanket, Somehow he entered into the story of salvation. And it was because a choice he made to show hospitality to a stranger or people in need. Let me remind you of Hebrews 13 too. Scripture says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Let's move on. Look at verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the field. Now think about our, 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 our Texas shepherd guarding their flocks of sheep. Let me ask you, what do you do at night? Some of you wouldn't answer if I said, would you like to go to lunch I'm buying? See, but I wasn't asking that. It makes it just communication go a little better if, if I do this, if you read the scripture, you talk with me. So let me ask you a question. What do you do at night? Sleep. These shepherds, though, are awake. Now, they're taking shifts of sleep, but they're awake because that's when the, the animals come out. Suddenly, verse 9, and again, why? What you're going to see is these are the only people that the angel went to after the birth of the Savior of the world. Why? And, and, and what did they do that I might do that might put me in a place of privilege. There, suddenly an angel appeared to them. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. They'll bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem. But you're going to recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
And the angels had returned to heaven. The, she the shepherds said to each other, well, now, wasn't that interesting? Could I have some more coffee, please? What did they say? Let's go to Bethlehem. I think that's indicative. Let's see this thing that has happened. They hurry to the village. They find Mary and Joseph. There's the baby in the manger. After seeing him, this is key, the shepherds did what? Told everyone what had happened. If with my magic wand, if I had the power to do something again to you today, the second thing I would want to do today is to put something on your tongue, a desire to tell every person that you have opportunity that Christ is born and Christ offers the way of eternal life. They told everyone what happened when the angel had said to them about the child. And this last one is significant. They went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. Now, we don't know a lot about them, but I'm, I'm going to ask if I can speculate just a bit. Shepherding was difficult. It was boring. It was hard work. They had to be highly committed because the sheep were so vulnerable. But something happened in, in, in socio sociologically in the nation. As they began to cultivate crops, the role of the shepherd diminished. In other words, there was a time when the favored son would be guarding the flocks, but now the younger son would guard the flocks. Uh, now a hireling, somebody that you just paid money that would run off when the, the, the line came up, uh, or even a slave. That's who did this work. And, and if I can say it this way, it was a, a working class kind of person that is dissed in our society. It is someone that is not heralded. Listen, somebody drives up in a BMW, you know, uh, they get attention. If somebody works in the bank and they come in in a nice suit, and I'm not knocking bankers in BMWs. If you don't like your BMW, give it to me. I'll give it to my wife. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is society has different classes of people. One of the most frequent words that's most abused today in our culture is racism. Uh, but this could well be at work with this group of people. How do you respond when you're in that lower rung of society? I don't know if you happen to see one of my favorite movies. It's called McFarland. Uh, uh, Kevin Costner was in it. He was a coach of a, uh, of a, uh, of a, of a running team, a cross-country team in McFarland, California. All the people that went there were Hispanics. Their, their families were pickers in the field, uh, very little education, a lot of prison. And uh, when, they, when they ran their first meet against Palo Alto, the rich people in California, uh, the kids from Palo Alto laughed at them, made fun of their shorts and shoes, and these poor little Hispanic kids just stood there. It was racism on display. It was arrogance because these kids from Palo Alto, the, everything they had, mommy and daddy gave it to them. They didn't get it. Are you with me today? And most people in power today and wealth don't realize that somebody else helped me get this. You might have gone to school, but listen, somebody, and the truly humble person recognizes that God helped me get this. Because all I have and all I can do and all I'll ever be able to do is because of the goodness of God. This is humility. And if I could speculate, I believe the shepherds had this. Because God wouldn't go to an arrogant person. Perhaps they lived in this lowest state of life, but they didn't let it affect them. They still lived perhaps a godly life. And this is a hard thing to do when people pick on us. But, but what else do we see about them? Uh, they're willing to leave that something they valued for something more important. Now, they're guarding the sheep at night. An animal could come and take it away. We don't know if they left one of their buddies, but it's very clear the bulk or all of these shepherds left. That was a risk. It was a risk if, they, if, if daddy owned the sheep, 
because daddy would lose them. And if you work for someone, he would take you to jail, throw you in jail, or file a lawsuit against you. But here's what my point. There was something more valuable. There was something that was worth taking this risk. And it was going to follow the Christ child. And I want to suggest to you, if you want God to use you in a special way, invariably there will be a time in life where you've got to take a risk. And you've got to be willing to go somewhere and do something God tells you to do. Here's the last thing they did that you heard it. They were willing to tell everybody that they heard. If there's one thing that I want to change in my life as I go into a new year, I want to be more vocal in my faith. I don't want to see people as just people that are in my way. I want to see people as people in need of a Savior, and I want to have the same expression, come on, like the shepherds did. And it could well be that the angel picked them, God picked them, because they were willing to go and tell. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me wrap it up. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus, born in Bethlehem during the reign of Herod, he was a bad guy. There were some wise men from eastern lands. These were the kings. Now, I don't want to burst your bubble, but the wise men were not there the day of his birth. I know they're in your manger and they're in the church manger, but they showed up sometimes later, okay? But don't let the time sequence hang you up. But here's what I want you to see. They're looking for the king of the Jews to come to worship him. Now we see humility again. We see men of power, men of wealth, men of influence. But they recognize a greater one of God. Well, they find the child. He entered the house with Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. It's as if a president who has expected the accolades, the boss that's expected the best, the best parking place, that's not what these men demanded. They recognized God. And they humbled themselves before him. They opened their treasure chest and they gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In other words, they, 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 they sacrificed to get there. And then they used their wealth not just for themselves, but to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's rare and it's precious, but it earned them a place, come on, in God's recording of the Christmas story. I give the Lord another good hand today. I know I'm out of time. I, I could have done more with that. But I want to close with this scripture. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to hear Jesus ask the why question. But it won't be from the manger. It'll be from the cross. We'll leap ahead from the manger to the cross when Jesus said, Why have you forsaken me? We'll talk about why me. But today I want to close with Matthew chapter 1, the first verses of Matthew. It's Matthew and Luke that tell the Christmas story. They interchange a bit. But Matthew begins with something that Luke closes with. He begins with a genealogy that most people skip over when you read your Bible. Now, how many honest say, when I hit, yeah, it just kind of, you know, who cares who begat so-and-so? And I usually don't. I usually do too. But this caught my eye. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David. You might circle that. And of Abraham. And then he lists some more names. In verse 5, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So the Christmas story starts out with the tale of an adulterer and a murderer. That speaks volumes to me. How did this man, David, 
He saw he was he was a king. He let power kind of define him. He sees a beautiful woman. He takes her to himself, knowing he's, she's someone else's wife. He sleeps with his best friend's wife. She's pregnant. He tries to make his best friend come home, and his best friend won't sleep with his wife, not while his buddies are at war. So David has his best friend killed. And then he says, now I've taken care of my problem. Only problem is God knows it, and God revealed it. And David, humiliated in front of everyone by Nathan the prophet, did what every one of us should do when we sin. He confessed his sin. He repented. And he dedicated himself to follow the Lord. It is one of the greatest examples in Scripture of forgiveness and redemption. And here's what I want to tell you. David's epitaph in the New Testament, the book of Acts, describes him as a man after God's own heart. The genealogy reminds us that he was an adulterer and a murderer. But when history records its final biblical epitaph, he's a man after God's own heart. And he is as much identifying with you and I as anyone in the Bible because how many know we're all sinners saved by the grace of God? And here's what I want to tell you today as I close. There's nothing you've done with your life so awful that God can't forgive. It's tragic, but in churches all over America, there's people that are sitting here on Sunday. They worship the Lord dutifully. They pay their tithe, but yet they almost sit in anonymity because they know their sin. They know what they've done wrong, and they don't feel that they can be worthy. And Satan is right there to say, God could never use you. You'll never be a person of privilege. You'll never have a privilege like Mary did or like Joseph did because you had an abortion, because you raped somebody, because you embezzled money, because you had an affair in the church. You just sit there and smile and hope you get to heaven. That's the devil. Sin matters, but that's why the cross is there. That's why Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. And what I want to say to you that are here today, if you felt like I was just speaking to you and you live under that condemnation of the devil, just kind of move your foot on the floor right now and crush him underneath your foot. Realizing that that's the voice of the enemy right there. We are made worthy not by our actions, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. No man can be good enough. No man can do good enough. No man can give enough to earn the favor of God. It's all the grace and mercy of God. And let us receive His grace today. Let us receive His mercy. Let our sins be washed away. The Bible says, though they be as, 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 as the color of scarlet, they be made white as snow because of Jesus. Come on, somebody give Him praise today. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and just, just take just a second. Forget your restaurant just a minute. Forget your kids. No, don't forget your kids. You've got to get them in a minute, but, but don't think about them just yet. They're okay. I want you to just drink deeply from the Lord right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to take what's in your head and slip it in your heart. Give God. Receive from God first if, if it's forgiveness that you're needing. Put a smile on your face because you're no different than David, a sinner saved by grace. But I want you as only you can do. Would you say, Lord, would you use me? Just ask him. Could, could I be privileged? Would you consider me? 
Consider me for the ball team. Consider me, Lord, for the, to work at the CPA. Consider me, God. Which simply means the choices I make and the values I hold. I want them to be like the people around Christmas. I want to be, Lord, like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Maybe disappointed, but righteous and blameless. I want to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to prophesy. I want to be like a young woman named Mary. I want to be eager to do the will of God. And i got to confess, Lord, I'm not much of the time. I want to be pure. I want to be like Joseph. I don't want to be bothered by what people say about me. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be like shepherds, Lord, humble men, willing to leave it all if God asked, willing to tell the story, the greatest story ever told. I want to be like the wise men. I want to be willing to sacrifice for the journey. I want to be willing to give of my resources. I want to be willing to humble myself in the true presence of greatness. I just lift your hands to heaven and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because these are God-sized prayers. These are things that don't happen automatically or naturally. But these are things the Holy Spirit can lead us into. Because who knows, friend, you might have that special opportunity to lead an influential person to Christ. You might have that special opportunity to be used of God, to build an orphanage, to help poor and needy people. You might be blessed by God with wealth. And the kingdom of God is better because of you. There may be an influential person at your school and you lead them to Christ and they impact the destiny of millions. Use us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to close this way. I'm going to ask, they're going to have one last song and, and if you just don't have to be somewhere, give just a second because when people start leaving, some people want to come to the altar and they're kind of torn. Give them a moment. We'll sing our last song. If you need prayer for anything, our, our prayer team is going to come to the front. You may want to just come and kneel before God. Just talk to God a moment, whatever you like. But the most important prayer we like to pray is if you're here today and you say, Pastor, what I need is a real relationship with God. I, I, I need a personal relationship with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. See, I was raised in church like many people, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What I didn't know is that I was born, as the Bible says, a sinner. Now, there's, there's, there's good sinners, and there's bad sinners. And then there's axe murderers, but we're all sinners. And the root of it is, if the cross represents the Lord, we're walking away from God doing our own thing. But there's a defining moment to become a Christian. It's when you turn, and I don't visually mean the cross, but it's our example. But you turn your heart to God. And you confess to God that I have sinned and done wrong. And I want to ask you to forgive me, number one. But number two, I want to receive you as my Savior. I give you the right to come and be a part of my life. I can't explain it, but I can tell you it's transformational. I give you the right to be a part of my life. And rather than going back to that life, I want to follow you. Friend, when you pray that prayer, something miraculous happens. Maybe you're here today. And right now you feel, you're feeling, that's what I need. 
Well, I want to tell you, friends, I felt it as a young boy. I felt when I was 19 what I was doing with my life, going to college, having fun, chasing girls, drinking, all, whatever. That doesn't satisfy. You may be here today. You might have tried it all. You might have made money, but I don't care how nice it is. Sooner or later, it's just stuff. It'll never make you happy. What you're looking for is a real relationship with God. This could be your day. Could I just pray for you just a minute? Holy Spirit, I want to pray for every person in this room that's not certain if they died today, they'd go to heaven. I want to pray for every person that's listening to me now that not only needs, but is desiring to put their trust in Jesus Christ. I want to pray, Lord, this is the beginning, God, of the greatest day of their life. In Jesus' name. I don't do this very often, but I want to do it now. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to commit my life to Christ and I want the church to pray. You just lift your hand. Say, pray for me. Yeah, I see your hand. God bless you. Others, just lift your hand. Say, pray for me. God bless you, dear. Others, I see your hand in the back. God bless you. Others, just pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. All right, all right, yeah, I see your hand too, dear. Give her a big hand. All right, here's what I want you to do. You that lifted your hand, I want you to slip out of your chair. Our prayer team is coming right now. I want you to come and meet someone at the cross. You that lifted your hand, come let us pray for you. Give them one more big hand as they're coming. I I'm getting my life right with God. You come and let us pray for you. You that lifted your hand, come on up. Let us pray for you and, and, and meet someone at the cross. Give them one more big hand. It it's the best step you make of your life. Every time you make a step to God. Every step you make to God is the right one. Others, you come and, 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 and we'll pray for you. Our prayer team is coming right now. They're here for you. If you need to connect with God, you come as we sing. I love you and thanks for coming today.